turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. We're studying tonight from a precious man who knew the Lord intimately. His name was John, the beloved apostle. Unbroken tradition ascribes this book to John, very similar to the Gospel of John in the writings. This book is like a family letter from a father to his family. One of the most intimate of the sacred writings. He speaks to the little born again ones. The sin of the believer is treated as a child's offense against the father. It is interesting how God deals differently with the sin of the believer and the sin of the unbeliever. John was a son of Zebedee, the brother of James, one of the inner circle. He is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was with Jesus at the Lord's Supper. He was at the Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, when two men from the Old Testament appeared to Jesus and talked with him about his death on the cross. John was with Jesus at the cross. He was the author of five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the book of Revelation. In this little epistle, only 10 verses, we're going to extend it to, through chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. He speaks of a personal experience, the purpose of the epistle, the powerful exposition. And as we think about this, we think of some tremendous truths. In 1 John chapter 1, listen to this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon our hands of handle of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. So John speaks with a personal experience. He said, the man that we speak about is no mortal man. He was from the beginning. We have heard him. We've seen with our eyes. We've looked upon. Our hands have handled. He's called the word of life. And this Jesus was indeed eternal life himself. And so, I'm passing on to you a personal experience I've had with the Lord. This is not something I've read about, something I experienced. Now, this is a little different from most of us. Many of us have never seen Jesus. We've experienced him by faith in our hearts. We know about him because we read about him in the Bible. But we didn't know him personally like John did. And I'm glad John knew him because he's passed this on to us and we have confidence in what John said is real. That confidence is so real that when he appeared to us in our hearts, 
We heard about him through the preached word. We go to the word of God and find what John is saying. John is revealing to us what he knew about the precious Lord Jesus. Now in verses three and four, we have the purpose of the epistle. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. So there's a threefold reason John is giving us this. He's saying, first of all, I'm writing this that you may have fellowship with us. John said, I've had fellowship with the Father. I've had fellowship with Jesus. I want you to have fellowship with us because we have known him and have experienced him. We've handled him with the word of life. And he says, I want you to have joy, fullness of joy. The only way you can really have fullness of joy is to know Jesus. Someone has said Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's the answer of joy. J-O-Y, J-O-Y. Sometimes our bus kids sing that. Jesus first, others, yourself last, others in between. That's where, where joy comes from. Well, in this epistle, John is telling us, I want you to have fullness of joy. God doesn't want us to look like we've been baptized in lemon juice. He wants to be filled with joy, have the joy of Jesus in our heart. And let that joy ring radiantly through our lives. Now we come to verses five through 10, and I wanna read this, a powerful exposition of what Christ has done. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. Now you think of this. Here's the message. It's a sevenfold message. Number one, God is light. There's no darkness in him at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So the first thing we notice in this message is that God is light. He is the light of the world. When you have him, you also are the light of the world. Jesus said one day, ye are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So if you have Jesus in your heart, 
you're walking in the light, you know the light, and he is the light of the world, he is the light in your life. Now secondly, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we say, I know the Lord, I know him as my savior, and then we walk in darkness, we walk, walk in the darkness of the world. James said, if you are a friend of the world, you're not a friend of God. Now, there's a difference of being a friend to the world and being a friend of the world. A Christian can never be a good old boy. We cannot be friends of the world. We can be a friend to the world. The difference is we're a friend to the world. We try to help them. We try to lift them closer to the Lord. If we're a friend of the world, we follow its fashions and court its customs and do what the world does. When we're a friend to the world, we try to lift the world out of where it's been. Many of you do not agree with me on this, and I understand you have a right to your opinion. I started to say you have a right to be wrong, but you have a right to, to have your opinion about it. Uh, I choose not to eat in restaurants that sell liquor, mainly because there are plenty of restaurants in Bowling Green that don't sell liquor. Now, when you're in a foreign country, you may have to look high and low, maybe not find any, because other countries have not had the same Christian influence that America's had. We've had such strong Christian influence that many restaurants don't sell liquor. Many do, many don't. You have to decide where you want to go and whether you want to eat in restaurants that sell liquor or not. Now, I have the reason I don't go in restaurants don't sell liquor that, that sell liquor is not because I'm better than they are. I've been in almost all the saloons in Bowling Green. I didn't go in to buy a Coke. I went in to give them a track. I think I told you this the other day. I went into one restaurant, that very famous restaurant in Bowling Green. I went there to find a young man that was working there that I knew God had his hand on. I went to that restaurant, and uh, at the entrance, I met some people. I talked to them about Jesus. They told me they were a Christian. They wanted to know if I would eat there. I said, no, I came to see a certain person. I saw that young man, witnessed to him, talked to him about the things of God, thanked the Lord. He gave his life to the Lord. Right now, he's a pastor in one of the cities in Kentucky. He came out from among that group and is different. Now, I tell that illustration not to say that I'm better than anybody else. I'm not. I'm the chiefest of sinners. But if I can go buy food in a place that does not sell liquor, I'm going to do it. Here's an example. Suppose I run a restaurant in Bowling Green and to make more money, I'll sell liquor. 
Brother Mickey over there runs a restaurant, doesn't sell liquor. He doesn't make as much money as I do because liquor is a big, 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 big money thing. Now, I sell beer and I sell whiskey and whatever I want to sell. I sell wine and so on. And he doesn't. So here comes uh, one of our deacons, Robert Tar Robert uh, Scherer over here. And uh, Robert Scherer comes to my restaurant and eats at my restaurant. I'm making money on selling liquor. Mickey is not. And after a while, Mickey may have to go out of business because the Christians come to my restaurant and they don't sell, they don't buy the, the whiskey and they don't buy the beer, but they, they, they come to my place because I can afford to make it look a little bit better because I make all the money on the liquor. Now, you have to decide which you're going to do. Most people never even think of such a thing. They go into those liquor joints and eat. That's totally up to them. I'm not going to condemn you for doing that. I'm just saying, as for me and my house, we're going to, going to do that. We're going to patronize people that don't sell that, that don't compromise on that. Okay, now, God is light. If we walk with him in the light, we have fellowship with him, we don't have to walk in darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. Keeps on doing it. We're aware of that. We're aware that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. How are we aware of that? Because we walk in the light, as he is in the light. We have fellowship with him. Now, I want you to notice something else. Look in verse five. This is a message we have heard from him. And we declare unto you that God is light and him is no darkness. So if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now look at verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Some people think they can live above sin. They can live to a point where there's, they don't sin anymore. Well, I've met some people like that and I respect them. Many of them walk godly lives. The problem there is they have a low view of what sin is. Sin is anything that dulls our enthusiasm for Christ. Sin can be an over Evaluation of entertainment, an overfocus on sports, an overfocus on anything that pleases us. That doesn't mean if we do things that please us, that sin necessarily, we have to watch it very, very carefully because sin is so subtle, it slips up on us and we get involved in it without even realizing it. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us. What does it mean to confess our sin? Number one, we need to confess our sin to ourselves. 
A lot of times we don't even acknowledge that we've sinned. We're not even aware of it. So we have to acknowledge it to ourselves. Secondly, we have to acknowledge it to the person we've wronged. We can't hardly accept God's forgiveness if we have somebody we've wronged and we have not confessed our sin to that person. Now, I don't think it's necessary to get up and tell everybody your sin, but we do need to go to the person we've wronged and hurt and ask them to forgive us. That's God's plan. Then we need to confess it to God. A lot of times we go directly to God and we ignore the fact that we've hurt somebody over here and that hurt is there, but we've never taken care of it. We need to confess to the person that we've wronged. Ask them to forgive us. Ask their pardon. And then we can go to God and say, Lord, I've done what you told me to do. I've asked their pardon. I've asked their forgiveness. Now, Lord, I come to you and I ask you to forgive me. If we confess our sin to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. He'll not only forgive us, he'll clean us up. He'll cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a wonderful, wonderful truth. Now look, just before we close, look at verses 10, 11, 10, and then chapter two, verses one and two. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. My little children, my little born again ones, these things write unto you that ye sin not. That's God's plan. Now sometimes we, you know, we, we sin and we say, well, everybody does it, so it's not so bad. It's like being on an airplane and the stewardess announces we're in trouble, we're gonna run out of gas in just a little while and we're over the ocean, we probably have to have a crash landing and you comfort yourself, well look, everybody else on this, everybody's gonna to go to die too, that's not so bad. Sure it is, you're gonna all meet your maker. Just because everybody else sins doesn't give us any alibi for sinning. My little children, these things write, things write unto you that you sin not. It is God's plan that we live as close to his heart and not sin. And yet in the same breath, he says, if anyone sins, talking about Christians, we have an advocate with the Father, a lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is our attorney. He stands at the throne of God and he pleads our cause before the throne of God. And he's never lost a battle. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So if we take our sin to the Lord and ask his cleansing, he forgives us. The problem is, if we can wallow in the muck and mire of sin and it doesn't bother us, and God never sends anybody to us to correct us like he did David when David sinned. If God never disturbs our heart, if God does not send discipline, you better question, are you sure you're saved? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he corrects every son whom he receives. That's wonderful, wonderful, it's one of the evidences that we're saved. God disciplines us. Just like in your family, if your children 
disobey, you discipline them. If a child down the street disobeys, you send him home, let his parents discipline You don't discipline somebody else's child. God disciplines his own. If ye be with that chastisement whereof all are partakers, then God says you're a bastard, you're illegitimate, you're not his son. But if you receive discipline when you're wrong, thank God, that's God dealing with his own. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God and all of its authority. Thank you, it says so much about sin. You led us to preach about it last Sunday. And again tonight in your word, you remind us how terrible sin is. And yet we have an advocate, an attorney with the Father who pleads our cause. Lord, give us the grace to live close to your heart. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Let's sing tonight, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. Is that 167? I think it is, 167, or it's 157, one or the other. And let's sing that tonight. And as we sing, let the Lord speak to your heart. If you're here tonight and you're not sure you're saved, Please don't leave without knowing Christ. If you are saved, are you living where God answers prayer? Are we day by day confessing to Him our need and our sin, asking Him to cleanse us? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. You may want to come to the altar and just pray. Someone here may need to just make a new commitment to the Lord. Do what God says while we pray and sing.